Hey everybody, this is Bob Z, the pastor of Joy Christian Fellowship. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. I hope it's a word that will encourage you today. Let's remember in these challenging times we're living that God is still in control and that his love for us endures forever. Amen. God bless. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 8, verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You've not received a spirit that, has, that makes you fearful slaves. So fear is a spirit. Instead, he writes, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, if you're a child of God, and I hope you are, then you're no longer a slave to fear. Amen? That's what we just got done singing. It doesn't mean we'll never be affected by fear again. Of course we will. But it means we won't let it control us. Because some people, even in the church, are controlled by this spirit of fear. And I know there was a big push for the last couple of years to fill us with fear, to isolate us, keep us separate, stay away from everybody. Now, there was a lot of real stuff taking place in there, but this fear is a spirit. And as that song says, fear, you will not take our song away. Right? Don't, don't let fear take your song away. Our fears are drowned in his perfect love for us. We're no longer slaves to fear if we are children of God. And if you're not sure about that, we can talk about it later. We can, we can change all that before you leave here this morning. Okay, the title of this morning's message is Faith in the Fire. That's a good one. Good job, Chris. <laughs> We're going to go back to Daniel chapter 3. So, Father, open up your word to us. It's an old story some of us have heard since we've been small. For some, it may be brand new. But make it come alive for this morning. Teach us, before we go out those doors, what we need to hear. We believe there's a word in here for us today. So teach us from your word, we pray, and give us ears to hear and not be distracted. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last Sunday's message was, as for me and my house, as for me and my family. It was a Father's Day message. It was taken from the book of Joshua. And Joshua kept telling the people, look, if it's too hard for you guys to, to serve the Lord, well, then choose today. Don't put up. Choose today who you're going to serve. But as far as me, my family, we're going to serve the Lord. So I hope it inspired us as men to, to lead our families well. Not to be dictators, but to be loving, but good leaders. Just because you can boss people around doesn't make you a good leader. Okay, that was Father's Day. But the week before, the title was Our Only Survival Plan. And that's what we're going back to. We looked at the prophet and the dream interpreter, Daniel, and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though those weren't their real names. They knew their true identity was in the one true God, Yahweh, not some pagan false gods. And we didn't really finish that story, even though most of us probably know how it turned out. But, but I want to go back to Daniel chapter 3 this morning and, and look a little deeper into what took place. And hopefully we can uncover a few helpful things 
that we may have overlooked when we first heard this biblical account of great faith in God and a bold refusal to bow down and just go along with what the Babylonian government was trying to do, basically brainwashing and indoctrinating these Jewish fellows with pagan doctrine and pagan beliefs, trying to change their identities. But they knew. They knew what their true identity was. They, they weren't confused about that. But we see a lot of confusion today with people dealing with identity issues. So I hope, I hope we can see some similarities with what was taking place in Babylon back in Daniel's day and what's taking place in our culture today and how we need to be alert and we need to be aware of these things and know how as believers in Christ what our response is, is going to be. Do we just go along with the crowd to fit in or do we take a stand for biblical principles? Do we take a stand for godliness in a culture that's doing its very best to completely unravel the moral fiber of our nation? Now hear me, let me make this really, really clear. This has nothing to do with politics, okay? I'm so tired of people saying, oh, you're talking about politics. You're talking about no, no, these are moral issues. They've always been moral issues. But groups are trying to turn them into political issues so the church will shut up and quit talking about it. Don't fall for that. We've been put here as ambassadors for Christ, amen? We represent a kingdom not of this world. The definition of an ambassador is someone who is an official representative or a messenger. So as followers of Christ, as the body of Christ, the church is supposed to be official representatives of God's kingdom here in the earth as long as we're here. Messengers of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, where the ecclesia, that, that's the ruling, governing body. We're put here in place by Almighty God, not some government agency. Unfortunately, a lot of official representatives of God's kingdom have diluted his message so it doesn't offend people. What has happened to our society that everything offends us these days? I mean, come on, we need to grow up. Some church leaders have even compromised their positions as messengers of the good news. So their attendance doesn't drop and their offerings don't decrease. But if we will stay alert and we will pay attention to what's going on in our sophisticated high-tech society, we'll see. We'll see clearly how the enemy's clever, deceiving agenda is working how it's influencing businesses and government and our education system. Uh, you name it, every area of our culture is being affected by it. Some of it's subtle, some of it's in your face, but we're supposed to be influencing our culture for Christ. Not in some arrogant, you're wrong and I'm right, turn or burn kind of way, but we're called to speak the truth in love, right? Speak the truth in love. As, as ambassadors for Christ, we're his voice. We're here as messengers of truth delivered with love. And we obviously need to do a better job of that. The Bible tells us it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So are we speaking the truth in love and kindness? Man, I sure hope so. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 that as ambassadors for Christ, God is making his appeal through us. Think about the responsibility that God of the universe is giving us 
our Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth, is making his appeal through you and me. We need to take that job seriously. As ambassadors for Christ, Paul says we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Be reconciled to God. We're speaking for him. That's no small thing. We need to take that responsibility very seriously because I believe time is short. Just look around at the condition our world is in. How much longer do you think God's going to wait before he says that's enough? Because he is coming back. We get closer each day. We're not here to just see how much stuff we can accumulate. Like the song says, people get ready. There is a train a coming and he's a coming back. Remember, we're official representatives of God's kingdom here in our culture. And the prophet Daniel and his three Jewish friends knew they were official representatives of God's kingdom in a pagan culture that was opposed to the principles of the one true God, kind of like today. And when Daniel and his three friends got swept up in the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem, along with thousands of his fellow countrymen, they got hauled off to Babylon, that pagan king Nebuchadnezzar told his chief of staff, pick out the finest, the smartest, the strongest, the best-looking guys, train them for three years in the ways of the Babylonian culture. And like I said earlier, this was an attempt to basically brainwash them, indoctrinate them with the pagan philosophies and pagan beliefs. Sound familiar? They even gave Daniel and his three friends Babylonian names. That's a pretty aggressive attempt to change their identities. Change their name. The king even wanted to change their diets. But they were granted permission to follow their own dietary laws and by doing so, proved they were healthier and in better shape by just eating vegetables and drinking water instead of eating the king's choice foods. And the Bible says that after three years schooling was over, Daniel and his three buddies entered into the king's service. And no one impressed the king more than these four Jewish men. How do you think that made the other advisors feel that had been advising Nebuchadnezzar before these four guys showed up? The Bible says that whenever King Nebuchadnezzar consulted with them in any, any matter requiring wisdom and good judgment, listen to this, he found them, the four, Daniel and his three friends, he found them ten times more capable than any of his other advisors, magicians, and astrologers in the entire kingdom. Favor of the Lord was definitely on these guys. The Bible says God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for learning the literature and science of that time. And God gave Daniel the special ability to understand and interpret dreams and visions, which would come in really handy when no one else could interpret the king's dreams. And sure enough, one night, King Nebuchadnezzar has this very disturbing dream, and none of his astrologers, none of his magicians, none of those phonies could interpret the dream. And the king is furious because they can't interpret the dream for him, so he, Nebuchadnezzar was a pretty impulsive guy. He sends out orders to kill off all the advisors, kill them all off. Nobody can interpret this dream. Get rid of them all. But good old Daniel, he saves the day. 
He tells the king, there's no one. There's no magician. There's no fortune teller. There's no wise man that could know what the king wants to know, but there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he revealed to Daniel what the king dreamed and what it meant. And this pagan king, he was so impressed with Daniel's revelation and interpretation of the dream that he began to worship Daniel. He told Daniel, truly, your God is the God of all gods and the Lord over kings. And he appointed Daniel to be ruler over the whole province of Babylon. And he gave many valuable gifts. And while the king was in such a generous mood, Daniel said, I'm going to strike while the iron's hot. He asked for the king to put his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in, in charge of a lot of stuff too. The king said, sure, why not? Consider it done. Now, if the other advisors and astrologers were upset with these Jewish guys before, imagine how they're feeling now. They're really ticked off and jealous now. So let's keep this in mind. Whenever God shows us favor, whether it's through some kind of promotion or a reward of some kind, not everybody's going to be happy for us, right? Some will. Some will be, man, I'm so glad you got that. Good for you. God bless you. But some will be jealous. Some will be angry or just upset, thinking it should have been them, not you. should have been me, not you, right? So not everybody's going to be happy when God shows your fa his favor to you. Next thing we find out is that King, King Nebi, I'm going to call him King Nebi, has a 90-foot statue built, gold statue built, where everyone could see it out on this plane. And he invites all the people in positions of leadership and authority to come to the dedication of this statue. He invites his advisors, the counselors, the governors, the magistrates, the Senate, the House of Representatives, the Supreme Court. He invites them all. And then a declaration is made that when the band starts playing, everybody, and they meant everybody, must bow down and worship this big gold statue. And to encourage everybody to cooperate, it's also declared that anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. <laughs> Man, must have been fun living back in Babylon in those days with that psycho king, right? <laughs> yeah, if you don't do this, I'm going <laughs> to throw you in this blazing furnace. So we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down and worship this statue. We talked about this two weeks ago. And those jealous astrologers and magicians, oh, man, they couldn't wait. They couldn't get to the king fast enough and tell him, those Jews who you put in charge of everything refused to bow down and serve your gods and worship that statue. My question is, how did they know? Because they were supposed to be bowed down worshiping too. So they, they must have been watching instead of worshiping to know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. Sometimes people are more concerned what you or I are doing and minding their own business, right? Doing what they know to do and wondering what everybody else is doing. So how did they know unless they were looking? And these astrologers, think about it, they actually owed their life to Daniel because the king wanted all the advisors and everyone wiped out when they couldn't interpret his dream. And by Daniel interpreting the dream, he spared the life of all the other people. So they really owed their life to Daniel. But these phonies were just looking for a way to get rid of these Jews. And Nebuchadnezzar is furious when he hears about these guys. I mean, he, these were his prime guys. He, he had them groomed and educated and, and trained and all this stuff. And they were doing a great job. 
So he has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego brought in. He questions them. Now he's furious, but it sounds like he's trying to be nice to them because he liked these guys. And he asks them, is this true? Is this true? You refuse to bow down and worship the gold statue? Is it true you refuse to serve my gods? He said, I like you guys, so I'm going to give you another chance. I know that the decree was if anybody refuses, immediately throw them in the furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar is actually extending some grace to these guys, right? So I'm going to give you another chance. I'll have the band play another song, and then you can bow down and worship, and everything will be okay then, okay? He said, but i got to warn you. If you guys refuse again, you're going to get real hot in a real hurry. So it's up to you. And then he throws this in, and he says, and what God will be able to rescue you from my power then? Oh, man, he should have left God out of this. He should have just kept it between him and the Jewish guys, but he had to bring God into it. And he's going to find out about who really has the power. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tell the king, hey, we don't, we don't need to defend ourselves to you, king. We don't really need to answer you concerning this matter. And now we'll finally get back to the rest of the story from where we stopped two weeks ago. Here's the two verses we ended with on June the 11th. The Hebrew boys telling King Nebi in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. He said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. See, they're being polite, they're being honorable, they're recognizing his position, your majesty. But get this, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. They knew God was powerful enough, could do it, but he said, even if he doesn't, you know, even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your gods. But they were polite. They were honorable. They were calling him your majesty. They said, but we're, we're not going to do this. The Bible says this made the king so furious that his face became distorted with rage. This guy has a real problem with self-control, doesn't he? His face became distorted with rage. That'd be a good name for a metal band. Here they are, distorted with rage, right? Maybe not. The king commands that this fiery furnace be cranked up even hotter. In fact, seven times hotter than usual. So he's, he's losing his control here. Then he orders some of his strongest soldiers, think of this as the Babylonian Navy SEALs, tie these defiant Jews up, real good and throw him into that blazing furnace. I was telling Dan earlier, I don't know why he thought he needed to tie him up. I mean, they were going to throw him in this huge furnace that was blazing, probably so hot it would have burned him to a crisp in seconds. Look at verse 21 and 22. So they tied him up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. The king in his anger. His anger caused some of his loyal soldiers, some of his best, strongest special force soldiers to die. Sometimes in our anger, we can make some really careless choices 
that affect other people in a bad way. Right? These soldiers were being loyal to the king, but because he, in his anger he just had them crank that fire up, these guys, it cost them their lives. And, you know, and if the king was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't you think he would have wanted them to suffer a slow, painful death to really show them who's boss? Cranking that furnace up so hot would probably get the job done only a few seconds. So he thought he was uh, going to really teach him. So the soldiers tied up the three Hebrew boys, threw them into this blazing furnace. End of story, right? Let's go home. That's what Nebuchadnezzar thought. He gave him a second chance. He didn't have to do that, but he gave him a second chance, and they still refused to bow down to the king's order, so he's thinking they got what they deserved. And they were doing such a great job for him. Oh, well, I guess they had to learn the hard way how powerful King Nebi really is, or so he thought. Look at verse 23 and 24. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames, but suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, yes, your majesty, we certainly did, three men. Nebuchadnezzar must have thought those three would have died just from the fall into the furnace. Right, since they were tied up so tightly, they wouldn't have been able to put their hands or arms out to, to break the fall. They would have just, boom, hit the bottom. of, And then you had all the flames, too. But something caught the king's attention, didn't it? He jumps up in amazement and asks his wife, hey, didn't we tie up three guys and throw them into that blazing furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? Yeah, 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 your majesty, we sure did. So the king's looking and he's counting one, two, three. What? Is, is there four in there? Wait a minute. I see Shadrach. I recognize him. I see Meshach. I see Abednego. But is that someone else in there with him? Why ain't they dead? Why ain't they dead? Look at verse 25. Look. Nebuchadnezzar shouts, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. One translation reads, and the fourth looks like the son of God. Without realizing that King Nebuchadnezzar is describing Jesus. But notice those two underlined words, unbound, unharmed. Isn't that amazing? Now, whether the fourth man was Jesus or an angel doesn't really matter. God sent someone to rescue them. Look at verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. You notice how this pagan king refers to God? Servants of the most high God. Just a few verses earlier, he's asking these three men, hey, what God's going to be able to rescue you from my power? Well, he's finding out now, isn't he? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God. Those words came out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth. 
He says, come out of there, come here. He's got to be thinking, how is this even possible? And, and where'd that fourth guy come from? And who was he? He looked a lot different than the three guys, like a god or something. What, what really happened here? He's got to be confused. Look at verse 27. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. They were curious. Too. They want to say, well, how could this be possible? Get this. Not a hair on their heads was singed. What? What? And their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Are you kidding me? They're thrown into a blazing furnace, and they come out, and they didn't even smell of smoke? Look at what King Nebi said in verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar's given him quite a testimony. But he says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, he, he, he just can't bring himself to surrender his pride and his self-sufficiency to accept their God as his God. He just witnessed a miraculous display of God's power, unlike anything he'd ever seen in his whole life. He saw it with his own eyes. Nobody told him about it. He was there. He saw it. And yet, he still couldn't profess the one true God as his God. There are people like that today. Some are in high places of authority and leadership, like King Nebuchadnezzar. But they can't bring themselves to confess God as their God. They, they can't bring themselves to accept Jesus as their Savior. Look what old King Nebi says next in verse 29. Therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, because see, when Babylon would conquer a nation and take people back, they had people from different nations that they had conquered. And he would pretty much let them do their own little worship stuff, you know, to get along, but he had his demands met. So there was people from all different cultures living there. So he says, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They'll be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There's no other God who can rescue like this. Man, he, he just can't help himself sometimes, can he? He sure likes to threaten people if they don't do exactly what he says. Torn limb from limb, and their homes turned into heaps of rubble? Shadrach might have gone up to him and said, Oh, oh king, uh, turn it down a notch, Okay. Our God is big enough to handle some criticism. That's not going to bother him if somebody speaks against him. You, you don't have to tear anybody's limbs off. You don't have to demolish anybody's homes. It's okay. All right. So let's finish this up. Verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Imagine how that made the other advisors and the phonies feel. And they just keep getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And remember... Promotion has its own little set of circumstances that come with it. Not everybody's going to be happy for you, but that's okay. 
And God's doing a promoting, and then God was doing a promoting through uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar here. But what a story. What a story. It almost sounds like a fairy tale, right? I mean, how could that possibly happen? Well, if you have trouble believing that story, how can these guys survive all that? In the very beginning of the Bible, it says God created heaven and earth. God created heaven and earth. If you can believe that, you can believe the rest of it, right? <laughs> you can believe that part. The rest of it. If you can't believe that part, well, then the rest of it's going to be a hard time. But if you can believe the beginning, you can believe the rest. But what a, what a story of faith and boldness. Boldness to not bow down to an ungodly culture trying to brainwash and indoctrinate them in an attempt to completely change their identities shift their worship from the one true God to a bunch of false gods. We may not worship statues today, but there are other gods that people are worshiping that aren't Yahweh. So there's a lesson for us to learn from this story to apply to our lives today. There's several lessons here. And I was talking to Dan about this earlier. Did you notice the only thing that got burned up in the furnace was the ropes? that had the three men bound. The only thing. The fire didn't touch anything else, didn't touch their hair, didn't touch their clothing, didn't touch anything except what was restricting them, what was holding them back. And sometimes God will allow us to go through the fire if that's what it takes to set us free from what has us bound. Does that make sense? Have you experienced that? Are you experiencing it now? God will get our attention, and sometimes he'll let us go through the fire, if that's what it takes, to free us from something we're, we're holding on to sometimes, or something that has us bound. I never noticed that before in his story. God knows what it takes. We may think we know what it takes. We may be wondering, why is life so hard? Why, why every time do I turn around, something else is happening? Maybe he's letting us go through this fire to set us free from something else. Maybe he'll reveal that to us. Maybe we already know what it is. But don't forget, God was right there in the fire with them. At the worst moment of their life, I can't think of anything being worse than them guys being in this blazing furnace. At the worst moment of their life, God was right there with them in the fire, that fourth man walking around with them. And I've got to believe God will be with us when we're going through our worst times, too. It may not seem like it sometimes. It may feel like he's far away. He'll be right there with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, is what the Bible tells us, when we go through our fire. Oh, I, sure hope, I sure hope everybody believes that this morning. Because I've had those times where I'd say, where are you, God? Where are you, Lord? You know, God says in Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters... I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Listen to this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could relate to this. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Be encouraged this morning, friends. I know as Americans, we're addicted to comfort, right? We don't want to sweat. We don't want to struggle. We sure don't want to go through fire. But sometimes, sometimes if that's what it takes 
to set us free for our own good, God will allow it. But he'll be right there with us. Now, we know not every story has a happy ending. This story ends in an incredible way. Not every story has a happy ending just because people had great faith in God, right? Those three boys, they trusted God whether he saved them or not. And he did save them. But think about it. The apostle Peter, he had faith in God. He was crucified upside down. The apostle Stephen, he had faith in God. He was stoned to death. The apostle Paul, he had faith in God. He was beheaded. I had faith in God to heal our daughter Amy here. I was convinced of it. She died anyway. So having great faith doesn't guarantee a happy ending here. And we know our God can do it. But even if he doesn't, like these guys said, even if he doesn't, can we still believe he's good and faithful and that he loves us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us? Even when it doesn't turn out the way we hoped and prayed, he won't forsake us, so let's not forsake him. Just because we didn't get our prayer answered the way we wanted it, don't forsake him. Don't give up on him and chase after something else, some false god or serve some other god just because God didn't come through for us like we think he should have. That was a tough lesson for me to learn. But I finally learned it. And I realized, as the Bible says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. The Bible says, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are God's ways higher than ours. So are his thoughts higher than ours. So let's trust him, okay? Let's trust him no matter what happens. I know that's a whole lot easier said than done, but let's trust him. Let's pray. Please stand with me if you're able. Have a dismissal prayer and have a good afternoon. Come back next Sunday if you're able to. Bring somebody with you. If anybody wants prayer for anything, I'll be up here for a while. You can pray where you are. Pray for somebody. If somebody you feel God gave you a word for somebody, share it with them. But uh, let's pray. Father, thanks again for this old, old story that seems almost impossible. Well, it is impossible without you. Physically, it's impossible. But we know you're not limited by time and space and anything else. And what a lesson to learn. What, a, what, what an incredible story of faith and boldness. And we know there's false gods out there in the world today. We, we know there's, there's groups pushing things that are not of you, things that are absolutely in opposition to your principles. Let us not bow down to them. Let us not worship them. Let us not give in to them because it's popular. Lord, you placed us here as your ambassadors, and we need to represent the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in Babylon, but they were not of Babylon. And they stood their ground. And this amazing victory you gave them. We may never have an encounter or experience like that, but even in our day-to-day life, Lord, let us be sensitive to opportunities you're putting right in front of us. Little, little opportunities to just bless somebody. Tell them, have a blessed day. Ask your server at the restaurant if there's anything you can pray about for them. The worst they can say is, no, I'm fine. But you never know. Instead of complaining that the service is slow or, or it's taking so long, be thankful they showed up for work. And they can't pay their light bill with a, a, a Bible track. So be generous. Our daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the most generous one in the universe, and, and, and we need to be more like him. Let's complain less and bless more. Bless everyone here, Lord Jesus. You know our needs greater than I do. You know what we need today, this day, before we lay our heads down. You know what's going to happen tomorrow morning. Give us strength for the journey. Encourage us to be more like you in a world that's increasingly, increasingly getting darker. But we have hope because our hope isn't in the things of this world. Our hope is in you. And I pray a special blessing over all our folks that are traveling. Give them, get them home safely. Get them to their destination safely. Keep us safe when we leave here, Lord. Put a new song in our heart. And as that song says, we're not going to let fear take away our song. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.